share with you something briefly that happened in our house, literally almost to the day one year ago. We're like fast asleep and it's Saturday night going into the early hours of Sunday morning. And at 2 a.m., our doorbell starts going. And you know, especially from my sort of policing background, immediately you think if the doorbell's going at 2 a.m., something terrible, something crazy has happened, right? So I kind of like jump out of bed and I'm all concerned about what on earth am I going to be met with. And there at 2 o'clock, Sunday morning, is this 16-year-old kid who is, honestly, absolutely bladdered. I mean, he is so drunk. This kid can't even like say his name. He couldn't tell me where he lived. He, I was trying to like say, you know, where's, where's your mum's mobile number? I'm going to call your mum. And um, he just couldn't explain anything other than tell me that he thought he was in, I can't even, I think he thought that he was in Southport or he thought that he was in Wrexham and I live like nowhere near either Southport or Wrexham. And he's like, my battery's dead. So we literally had no way of finding out who on earth this kid was and um, no idea really about how we were going to get him home. But like, he was so drunk. If I'm really honest, he was a huge inconvenience. I mean, not only is he like now starting to wake up our whole house, he's starting to wake up the whole street. So I did what any God-honoring Christian would do. I literally said to this kid, hey, you need to go and sort your life out. Now get away from my door. It's 2 a.m. And literally sent this kid going, right? And I go back upstairs and I get into bed. And I've been lying there for about maybe 15 seconds when all of a sudden I hear this kid, he is crying like a baby at the bottom of our drive and Emma she's like you can't leave him there and I'm like going what what are we going to do he's brought this on himself he's like he's got himself into such a state you know he's not our responsibility and Emma's literally going hey listen we can't just leave him there me I'm like we totally can leave him there and she's like no 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 we just can't and then she said this one thing to me she said listen if that were one of our kids We would want someone, anyone, to at least try and look after him. (laughs) You know that annoying moment where you know your wife is right, but you don't want to tell her? So what does every guy do? You get out of bed and stomp your feet because you need to just show her that even though she's right, you're not happy with the fact that she's right and you're wrong. So I go and get this lad who's at the bottom of our driveway crying like, you know, he's like some hurt cat. And I bring him inside our house and... I wake up two of our older boys and I'm like, hey boys, I need some like moral support and just to make sure he's not crazy, he's going to kill me. You can come down into the kitchen also and we're going to give this guy some coffee and we're going to try somehow and, you know, figure out who he is and where he's from. And this story just keeps going on and it keeps going on. And in the end, it took us about 40 minutes to find a Samsung charger. The poor boy didn't even have an Apple phone. I mean, oh, we should pray for him right now. Who has a Samsung charger, right? So uh, eventually we get power in his phone and we're able to ring up his mom and sort of say, hey, where are you? And are you a child down right now? Because he's in our kitchen. And um, between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., we just literally stayed up with this boy waiting for his mom to come and pick him up, who was just like so appreciative. And the following day, she literally, she just sent us this text message, which was kind of right, but at the same time, if I'm honest, really annoying, because it was exactly what Emma was saying. She just said, listen, I just want to say thanks, because... I would really like to think that if my boy ever got into trouble, that there'd be somebody there that was willing to help. And you know, if I were to try and paraphrase the work of compassion, I feel that that's what they do, if I'm honest. I'm so glad that compassion are in existence in the world today. 
Um, I'm so glad because what they are able to do, and they're going to be able to explain it far better than me, is that they're able to, as an organization, partner with local churches like us and help us pursue the dreams of our heart. Because we say, don't we, as a church, that like three things we want to be is, is humble, we want to be unified, and we want to be a generous church. But, but sometimes being generous is hard because we don't always have the right organization to be generous towards. And what, what Compassion do is provide a platform that we know that we can trust them and if we're generous towards them, they will absolutely take care of children whose parents, for whatever the reason is, and you know what, it's, it's not even our place to judge, like just for whatever the reason, are unable to take care of their children. So I'm so excited that it's Compassion Sunday today because I feel like who they are as an organization is the perfect fit for us as a church because we want to be a church that helps around the corner and around the world. And many of you will know um, our story is that we have a compassion project that's about 170 kilometers northwest of Nairobi. And, and we don't believe that we can change the world or even change a nation, but we are convinced that through compassion and through child sponsorship, we can change the lives of children. And you know what? I don't know exactly what all of these kids that we sponsor individually and corporately as a church will go on to do, but I'm convinced that some of them are gonna be world changers. Some of them are gonna be the next politicians in their nation. Some of them the next surgeons, the next business people. That, that, that's who these kids are gonna be. But I know this, if nobody partners with compassion, we give those children no chance. But if some people, like local churches, like us here at Liverpool One Church, partner with compassion, it's not a guaranteed result, but I think that we increase the likelihood of really making a difference. But hey, don't take my word for it. I'd like you to fix your eyes onto the screen and hear about the great work that Compassion do from some of their other Compassion partners. My sponsor had a great impact on me, on my development, because Every time I go to school, every time I do something, I always think of them and I always make them proud. Yes, I always want to make my parents proud too, but there's another set of parents that I consider that I don't want to disappoint them. I see my sponsors, Betty and Boyd, as, as my family. Because uh, that's how they treated me. They treated me as one of their sons. The first person that helped me believe that I could be a leader was my sponsor, who wrote me that letter and told me that they believed in me. And I thought to myself, if they believed in me and I was going to become somebody, it's true, I can actually become that somebody. And they always encouraged me just to be a good student, a good daughter, and just to keep learning as much as I could because even though in my thoughts that maybe I would not be able to do much because I didn't have the resources, but they always put those words in my heart that I will have just a trust in God that He will He will He will open doors for me. I am what I am today because of a stranger willing to invest in my life and show me the, the love of Christ and pray for me 
and encourage me each step of the way. Wow, isn't that amazing? Thank you so much for having us here this morning. My name's Darren. Uh, I travelled in from Dublin on Friday and uh, used to live in Manchester, just down the road. I know I shouldn't say that, the name of that city. And my team aren't doing very well at the moment. I'm on the red side. They're not doing very well. I know you'll be all really happy. A little bit of sympathy, though, wouldn't go amiss. And uh, anyway, I've left my wife back in Dublin. She's serving in church this morning. And uh, wow, what a great start to the service today. So great to see you all. And you know what? I'm just so thankful for you as a church that you have decided to partner with Compassion and make such a difference. We're going to have a look at that in a few moments' time. And I'm just going to ask Spencer to come up in a moment or two. Um, there's a scripture in Acts 749 uh, where Jesus is, uh, where, where Stephen is speaking and he's giving testimony and he says this, um, that God says, because he's quoting from Isaiah, what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord. And uh, it's sort of a question that really, you know, we know if you look through that scripture, we know there isn't anything that we can do for God, that he couldn't do better himself. But the thing is this, that God chooses to partner with his people. He could just go and do it on his own, but he doesn't do it that way. He always says, I want to partner with you. And I've always wondered why, because you just think, God, you do a far better job on your own. But do you know what I've realised? I've been working with Compassion for nine years and in local church like my whole life. I realised that when you get involved and you partner with God, it does you the power of good. Because I know this, that when you worship God, it's like this morning when we came and we, we worship God. We didn't worship him because he's a little bit insecure and he needs us to tell him how good he is. We worship God because it puts us in a great place with him. And when we get into his presence, then everything else changes. And I want to show you this morning some of the things that you have done uh, just in the last few years. Because I was with you just two and a half years ago. And uh, you partnered with us. And you sponsored one child. And you think, what difference does it make to that one life? Just as Luke was saying a little bit earlier on. But we've got some stats for you here. And don't worry, I'm not going to take all morning on the stats. But I thought this would be really interesting for us to show just what's happened just in the last few years. So let's just have a quick look, guys. We just pop my PowerPoint up there. I promise you it will not be death by PowerPoint. So you are currently sponsoring 28 children's lives through the church partnership and that is wonderful. Give yourselves a round of applause. I think you could be more enthusiastic than that. That's good. And um, you're saying thank you to God too because you have the opportunity to do that. You know, the last time I looked, I, I don't remember that anyone, um, I didn't get a choice in being born in the UK. It just happened for me. You know, my parents knew and uh, God knew. But as far as I was concerned, it was pure luck. And it's the same for you. And the thing is, with these kids in Kenya, they didn't get to decide. And what God does for us is he says, hey, the fact that you are so privileged, what will you do with that privilege? I don't want you to say, oh, I'm going to go and suffer and I won't drink any Costa coffee or Starbucks. I won't do anything. But I want you to know, what will you do with your life? Will you invest in others? Will you do that? And you've invested in 28. Now, I actually think, Luke, it's probably more than that because I know people sponsor through other events too, all over the place. And if you think to yourself, if a picture of your child doesn't come up on the screen, then come and let Dave know afterwards and tell him the name of your child and we'll get that link to the church. So there's probably, I reckon it'd be more in the region of 40. Probably, that's roughly what it normally is anyway. So we just go on to the, to the next slide. 
here in six different countries, but predominantly Kenya. But we actually operate in 25 different countries around the world with 7,000 partner churches in those countries. Right now, there are 1.9 million children being helped. Isn't that amazing? And already 1.1 million children have graduated through the whole system. Do you know, there's a senator in Haiti right now, right, in the higher echelons of government. There's a lady who is an MP in the Ugandan government in the cabinet, and she heads up anti-corruption. 35 years ago, she was a child on the streets just sucking out of sugar cane. And then she started working through a community and then it just went on and on and on until she's just got this place. What you do today makes a difference, not just today, but for tomorrow. It has ripple effects. So that's what you're doing right now. Six different countries, predominantly Kenya. Let's just have a quick look. The next slide. 23 in Kenya. And then there's those other countries there. That's amazing. The next slide. So in the last year, uh, in the last year, yeah, just in the last year, you've sent 106 letters have been sent from the children to you and you sent 57 I want to say that's a fantastic ratio actually because I I see this every week and that's a great ratio 57 letters you've sent in the last year plus beneficiary gifts but I want to encourage you will you write to your child because you might think to yourself it's the finance it's the 25 pounds a month it's the 83 pence a day that's all it is that's the thing that makes the difference but actually it's way more than that it's it's the it's the writing and it's the telling them that God is for them, that you love them, that you are for them too. On to the next slide here. 14 girls, 14 boys. And the next one, we're just going to go through. Hey, look at this. Since you partnered with the project, over 27,000 hours have been spent in that project by children, with the children that you are investing in. A minimum of 6,754 nutritional meals. Look at the medical checks and even the Bibles that have been given out. You see, you don't have to be a Christian child to go into a project. You just need to be extremely poor. And the church, the local church will help you. But then we give them, a, we give them the idea, hey, this is, this is how God views the world. This is how he sees you. And so we want to give them hope through the word of God too in the local church. And we go on to the next slide. In the last 12 months only, so you can multiply this up over the last two and a half years, as a church, you have given nearly £19,000. That is absolutely amazing. Plus another 13 additional gifts. We just want to say thank you in Jesus' name because you might think again, hey, my £25, that's just £300 a year, but together, do you see what you've done together? It's making a huge impact. And these are the kids. Some of these are on the bottom top part of the slide, but you might recognise your child there. Some of them are smiling. Some of them don't like having their photograph taken because they were probably playing football. And someone says, you're going to have your photograph taken right now. And um, we just pull up that final slide. That We just want to say thank you. You just made such a, a tremendous difference to those kids' lives. Well, I think that's enough of me just chatting to you. I know this morning, because I've spent many an hour with this gentleman, and um, his name is Spencer Todd Marshall, but I just checked with him on the front just a minute ago. You see, we'll, we'll get into this, but he was in the British Army. And you're not supposed to give, apparently, the whole part of your name. I don't know all of that stuff. but um, And so his real name is Tossie. I thought that was a nickname, but that's actually his name. But he also knows he's known by as Spencer Todd Marshall. But we're going to call him Tossie this morning. He is dressed a lot smarter than me and anyone else who's been on this stage this morning. So give him a warm round of applause just as he comes out. Spencer.
Tossie, come out. Thank you. Bless you, mate. Bless you, He was uh, arriving a little bit late from Nottingham, and I said to him, uh, they said, how are you going to know when he arrives? I said, oh, you'll know when he arrives. You'll know. <laughs> hey, Thank it's you, great Chad. to be with you. What would you like to say just to people, just to, just to say? Uh, good morning, Chad. My name is Tosi. I'm a father of two. I'm a student in Canterbury Christ University. I'm also a director in my own company called TNG Resourcing. I'm also a compassion graduate. Thank you. Wow, that's enough. Should we go? No. no, you've got so much to tell us. Um, some of you may have heard these types of stories before, but I just want you to know, just, just to start with, if you've not heard about compassion, we've been going like since 1952. So I gave you some stats earlier on. And so Spencer's is one story among many of how God brings people through to a successful life and gives them hope and an opportunity. And for people like you, have just made the most of that. So tell us a little bit where you were brought, uh, brought up and what it, what it was like, the home where you lived in. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I was born and brought up back in Madara slums, back in Kenya. And uh, we used to have a single room and uh, it, it was a shanty house. It used to be 12 by 12. That used to be our toilet. It used to be our kitchen. It used to be our bedroom. It used to be everything. The roof was made up of tins, and it used to have holes on top of the roof. So when it was raining, the water used to get inside. So life in Madara Slums was not easy because uh, I lost one of my friends uh, called John yeah. at the age of um, seven because of cholera, because it's so expensive to treat people back in Kenya. So because they could not afford uh, the medical facilities back in Kenya. So life in Madara slums, it wasn't that, uh, that pleasant. And uh, I remember uh, there was uh, like a drainage system which was passing in front of our house because, uh, it, because of poverty, they can't afford even to buy like a pipe. So everything used to pass in front of our house. So when it used to rain, the water used to mix up and it used to get in our house. And when it used to get in our house, we used to go to uh, other friends of ours. Then after, after everything is cleared, we come back to the same house. We used to sleep in one mattress, my brother and my sister, because we used to have two mattresses. And when I mean mattress, it's not a mattress like here in the UK. It, it was made of, of um, old clothes which were joined together so that so, we can just... Uh, so you didn't get it from Ikea? No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> so you, just tell us a little bit more about mattress. You said just wrapped up in clothes. Yeah, yeah, what, what did you put in inside clothes. it? Uh, we used to just clothes, old clothes. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was like two mattresses between all of you? Yeah, two mattresses. And how many, of, how many of you in your family? Five of us. Okay. My mum. So you living in a 12 by 12? Yeah, 12 by 12. Much, water coming through. Yeah. Sewage running outside. Yeah. And when the rainy season hits or whatever, it's Mixed pretty together and gets in. Yeah. And that's how your friend passed on because yep. he, he was just... Contaminated gee, and everything. Um, just bad luck. You're born in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but you, you tell me, before, before, um, before you went into the Compassion Project, you've told me this story um, that you went downtown with some older friends of yours who were 16, 17. Just tell us what happened. Uh, this time we were fed up with poverty and we didn't used to have money. So we matched up with our friend who was 16, 17 years. 
and we went to the town center, we were targeting tourists. We used to come to Kenya so that we can get their bags and go and sell everything, we get money. So pickpocketing off yeah, them and stealing. Pickpocketing, yeah. yeah, stealing, yeah. yeah. So we used to get that money, sell the things back in Madar slums, and that money we used to buy food and things like that because that week uh, we, we, we stayed the whole week without food. Yeah. And uh, when we went to town center that morning, it was on a Friday morning, and two of my friends, the 16 and 17 years old, they went, uh, they, they attacked the tourists. And after two minutes, they were shot dead by the police back in Kenya. So there was this shop which was selling clothes. Me and my brother, we dived into the shop and the, shop, the, the, the owner of the shop dragged me and my brother inside the house. And that's how we were rescued, how, to, not to be killed by how, the police. How, how old were you then? I was seven, turning eight years. So you knew this sort of thing may happen. You yeah. go down to the town center yeah. to, to steal from tourists. Yeah. And you knew that police would be pretty brutal. Yeah. But you took that risk anyway. Yeah. That's how hungry they were, that they would go down and do that. And they got shot. But you were rescued just because you went in the, and the shop owner closed that, the door to stop the true. police getting to mm. you. That's a miracle, isn't it? It is a miracle. That God by would God's grace. You. And so we move on to this huge thing happening in your life. And then you, uh, you found out that a local church wanted to help people that were impoverished in the community and a compassion project was going to help them do that. Tell us what that felt like when you found out about that. What happened? I remember this day my, one of my mom's friend came to our house and said, and the, uh, the, it was on a February, uh, compassion, uh, they want to, to make a difference to more than 600 kids back in Madar slums. And that Sunday we woke up, my mother, my dad, my sister, my brother, we went to, the, to a local church, Redeemed Gospel Church, and where we had these um, compassion sponsors and uh, the partners, they came and uh, our pictures were taken. And after three months, I got a sponsor from Colorado, US, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. And that was my turning point because I knew now I'd go back to school because my parents used to work more than three jobs to just earn under one pound a day. So they could afford even to take us to school. They could afford even to buy us clothes and everything. So I knew that was my turning point. So when you heard that you had these sponsors, Mr. and Mrs. Jans Johnson, Johnson, yeah. Johnson from the yeah. United States yeah. in Colorado, how did that make you feel about the future? I mean, so you, you were young. Did you think about the future or did, did it... What I did didn't think about the future that time, but I knew I'd just go back to school, I'll be a better person in the society, and my dreams will come to existence. Wow. Okay, so you started going through. Tell me about, um, you came from a Christian family, sort of nominal Christian family. You believed in God like a lot of us do, but you came to a place where you came to know Jesus Christ as your own friend, as your own savior. Just tell us about that, just quickly. I remember this time we went with compassion because after every school holidays, we used to go for camps, for Christian camps. So I remember that time uh, there was a pastor called Matthew and he preached about the love of Christ, the way, Jesus, the way God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sin. And that day, and that day I, I just, uh, the time he was praying for everyone and people want to receive Jesus as, as their personal savior. I just felt like a conviction in my heart and I started crying and uh, remember that's the time I received Jesus as my personal savior. That's amazing. Just totally changed your life. Yeah, changed my life until today. 
So you were part of the local church and your family came along to the local church yeah. and they gave their lives to Christ too That's and true, your yeah. followers too. Yeah. So making a difference to the whole community, just like what was what we're about, the good news of Jesus Christ, just sharing that. But we have to show that in a practical way as well and the love of Christ coming through. And so you had dreams started to come up because God yeah. started giving you dreams in your heart. And what That's did you true. want to dream? To, dreams uh, I wanted to, to be, be a doctor and a pilot. Yeah. Okay. So tell us, you, you, you came through. Yeah. And uh, you graduated from the Compassion Project. That's true. Okay, so yeah. you had your education. And that meant, I think you're right in saying to me, it meant that your, your parents could help to pay for some of your, one of your other siblings yeah, to go, true, couldn't yeah. they? Yeah. Okay, so this is a really important question because sometimes people say to me, why don't they sponsor the whole family? And it's a, I guess it's an interesting question, but if you sponsor a whole family, then there's another family that misses out. So you're trying to spread it out as much as you possibly can. And also the family wants to have some sort of, you know, some, you know, some sort of respectability themselves that they can look after themselves as well. So your family were able to help and they used to give you food and yep. you told me at Christmas, That's but you, you, you went through the project. Yep. What happened then? What, what happened when you, you graduated? After I graduated from Compassion, I went uh, to, uh, to do uh, social work in college. After I finished, I came back to Madara Slums where I used to help the children back in the community to write letters, to link up with your sponsors and also to teach them the word of God. Yeah. Sewing it back in. Yeah. Yeah. Paying it I, forward to where you came from. Go ahead, tell us a little bit more then. So what's what's happened in the last years? Because I know you're married yourself now with children, but just tell us a little bit about what I you did. I remember after I finished, I uh, was volunteering back in uh, in my compassion project back in Kenya. I got an opportunity to come to UK through LL Ministries. I served there for one year. As, um, as a volunteer, then God opened another door. I joined the British Army for six years. So I've been to everywhere. I've been to Afghanistan, I've been to Iraq, Canada, everywhere, name it. Yeah. So, and I thank God I'm still sober. I can stand in front of people and testify the goodness of the Lord in yeah. my life. Yeah. So after I finished the British Army, resigned three years ago, went back to school. I'm doing my BA in theology. I'll graduate next year in June in Canterbury Christ University. Me and my wife, we have started a company called TNG Resourcing. And we said, uh, um, this, the previous August, we went to Kenya and my daughter, I took my daughter back to Mother Islam and she was crying. And she said, Daddy and Mommy, we need to sell everything in UK and give the money back to our community. So me and my wife, <clears throat> sorry, we decided every client to get in our company, we shall be sponsoring one child in com through, Compassion, uh, a pro uh, through Compassion UK. So uh, uh, we've got already three clients now. So we are sponsoring three kids at the moment. So the more we get, even if we get a million clients, we shall sponsor <laughs> a million kids through Compassion UK. Yeah. Yeah, Wonderful. Thank you. And also, you, uh, you run a business yeah. now yes. as well to help... Uh, the old. The old the folks, old, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's true. Okay, just, just have a quick... Below, below so there. we normally do this uh, because uh, we have registered with CQC and everything, so that's where the NHS, they are trying to force people from hospitals back in their houses, and the old people, they don't want to go to the care homes. They want to be taken care in their own comfort, in their own houses. That's where we employ people. We check everything, CRB and everything. So we take them back there and we train them to look after the old people. And it's a good time. I normally go and chat to the old people because some of them, they are lonely. They don't have families. So yeah. I go there and be a blessing yeah. to them also. 
Yeah. Thank you. And that money's being used as well to yeah. help uh, clothes and a food charity yeah, we, that you've got. We've we got another charity back in Kenya, me and three of my friends. The, my friends are back in US because we went through the same project and uh, it's called For Me and My Neighbor. So every, every month we normally send food, um, um, cans of food and clothes to help back uh, our local community back in Madar slums. It's called For Me and My Neighbor. Isn't that amazing? So this guy, at the age of seven, nearly, nearly shot, being chased by the Kenyan police, trying to survive for meals. And now because God has rescued him from poverty, not just poverty, physical poverty, but spiritual poverty, lifted him up and given him a voice to help others. Not only back in his home nation, but in our nation too, with the old folks. That's just amazing. And just bless you for that, man. And I just want you to, just to think about that for a second. Uh, because sometimes we, I think for us as human beings, we, we sort of think, well, if I knew it would work out like that, I would, I would do it. And, and there's no guarantee, but this morning there's a step of faith. And I know some of you have taken that step of faith before. You've said, I'm stepping out. I'm going to sponsor a child. And I'm going to write to them. And maybe you've done other things through the community here in Liverpool. And we're grateful for that. But maybe there's a challenge to you in your heart right now. You know what I was talking about earlier on, just about what kind of house will you build? And the house that God wants us to build is one of living stones. Not to be dead, but to be alive. That we would show the love of Jesus Christ to all of those around us, wherever we can see them. And... I think the wonderful thing about being a follower of Christ and walking with him is that he takes into consideration my feelings too and what makes me feel good. God's interested in me feeling good about stuff. I'm like, God, why? And I read in Psalm 41 verse 1, it says in the message, do good to those who are down on their luck. That's what God does, comma. You'll feel good too. I'm like, God, why would you want to make us feel good? And I thought, I was reading through the scripture again and I thought, well, you know, the Bible says that whatever you do for the least of these, you do it as if unto me. And so just in the same way we were worshipping earlier on and we didn't worship God because he was insecure, but because it puts us in a better place with him and it helps us to see in perspective what our lives are really like when we look at it the way that God does. I think that when we help someone who God would say is our neighbour, whether they are our actual next door neighbour or they're our neighbour, just because we have the ability to be in contact with them across in the uttermost parts of the earth. God says, well, you know, when you do that for them, you do it for me and you feel good because you've done it, because you are entering into worship with me. Many years ago, I was watching Comet Relief. I'm sure quite a few of you watched it. And I was watching Lenny Henry. He's been doing it for years, hasn't he? And uh, there were four celebs. This is about eight, ten years ago now. There were four celebs and they all had to stay in the slums of Kabira for a, for a week. And they weren't allowed to help anybody. They just had to live with them with the same clothes and just get to know the family and just then film it, come back to us and say, come on, get your money out. We're going to help these people in the... Then Henry, a couple of days in, he says, I can't do this anymore. 
The producer says, what do you mean you can't do it? And he says, I cannot live with them and then become my friends and me not do anything when I have the ability to do something. Now you see, the thing is, his mother came from a Christian background. I don't think he was a practicing Christian. I don't think he was a follower of Christ. But there's some, something of God residue in each one of us that when we see something, just as Luke was talking about, with, about Emma earlier on, when you see something, there's something deep inside you that says, I can change this. I can make a difference here. And so Lenny Henry says, I'm not, you know, I'm going to help the rest of this community, but I need to do something for them. So he built them this place on the edge of the slums because that was where their life was and their livelihood was. And he built them something there just so that the girl that like you were talking about wasn't sleeping next to an open sewer. And he built them there. And then he sat down on a concrete block and he just looked at the end and he looked at the camera and he said, that feels better. And I was eating fish and chips just on my lap watching TV and I had one of those cold, you know, down the spine moments, you know, like, oh, God's just spoken to me. Didn't expect that. And I realised he did it for himself too. And that's the way that God's wired us. And when you change someone's story, it changes your story too. You know, the Bible says that the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the generous grows larger and larger. And when you expand your world, you just, you never know what's coming around the corner. God will give you opportunity you never thought. 